The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John, chapter 18, beginning at the 33rd verse. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words that flow through our mouths be inspired by your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, four priests walk onto a stage. <laughs> Sounds like the start um, of a bad joke, but um, hopefully... Great it, joke. <laughs> well, I was going to say, hopefully it's a great ending to what has been... I think um, quite a profound uh, series. Uh, for those of you who've been with us over the last three, three weeks, we've been digging into uh, the difficult topic of from death to life. And as we explored what um, we might do to finish and conclude this uh, series, uh, the four of us um, gathered around um, one of uh, my offices, which is a cafe across the road, and um, discussed um, whether we might invite you into what might usually be secret priest business. Um, I remember as a child overhearing my father tell stories with his friends who were priests about their experiences with people as they were dying and, and also other um, supernatural works of God uh, and being really transfixed by those stories. Um, and since becoming a priest, um, I've been able to share uh, some of those experiences with, um, with my colleagues and friends. Uh, but I was quite conscious that we don't often invite our congregations into some of those stories. Uh, so what we're going to do this morning um, is offer a piece of scripture that we've found helpful in terms of trying to understand what will happen to us when we die, and then share a story. Um, I'm very mindful that there is no one piece of scripture or even a collection of scriptures that tell us exactly what will happen. We're given but glimpses. Um, and I hope as we experience some of those glimpses uh, this morning, uh, you might be enriched and blessed as we have been in 
having the conversations leading up to it. Uh, so I'm going to invite Elroy to, uh, to begin um, as she's going to, to uh, kick us off. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I think the worst scenario for me would be to die, die without Jesus being with me. And even, even if I got to heaven, it wouldn't be heaven for me if he wasn't there. But fortunately, there are many verses in the Bible that make it clear that he will definitely be with me then, just as he has always been. The key passage that really assures me is in Paul's letter to the Philippians. And Paul is in chains, risking death because of the gospel. And he writes, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what will I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I really desire to depart and be with Christ which is better by far. Now my story is about Bobby. <laughs> we knew him because he was a good mate of our neighbor, Smithy. When my dad died, Bobby, who was a lot older than mum, decided that mum needed some looking after. I don't know whether she did or not, but she, she got it. <laughs> and um, somehow their relationship worked. But there was one sticking point. Bobby did not believe in God or Jesus. Now, he's a very silly person he was because he told mum. Now, mum, at the age of five, was having visions of angels up in heaven worshipping God around the throne. So that's what you're dealing with, with my mum. <laughs> anyway, mum asked the Lord to arrange a few signs and miracles to change Bobby's belief. And there was a whole series of things that led up to this particular Friday. Um, I'll get the notes correct here. They were driving along Dandenong Road. Now, if you've been to Melbourne, you'll know what Dandenong Road is like. It's a monster, uh, especially on a Friday afternoon when it was starting to get a bit dark. And so they were travelling in Mum's trusty VW. And everything was fine until the car started to hiccup and not working properly, and Bobby said, Elwyn, you've run out of petrol. Don't panic. She said, oh, there's a reserve tank on this VW. I'll just pull over, click the switch, and we'll be right. Now, for anyone to pull over on Dandenong Road was <laughs> dangerous enough. But when they did that, and she bent down to flick the switch, it was already flicked. Ah, so they were actually out of petrol. So they got out of the car, which was very dangerous. And Bobby, in a panic, was walking up and down. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Mum being mum, just stayed there and prayed. A couple of moments later, this car pulled up behind them. Out gave, out hopped a bloke, very cheerfully. He said, hello, I think you've run out of petrol. And mum sort of smiled, <laughs> a bit guilty at him, and she said, yes, that's the case. So he said, no worries, I've got a, a, a can of petrol in my boot. Um, I'll put it into your tank for you, which he did. 
Now, by this time, Bobby's standing there with his mouth open, watching everything that's happened. Mum went up to him and um, said, thank, thanked him profusely, but then offered to pay for the petrol. And he always said, no, no, you don't have to pay for the petrol. The Lord told me a long time ago that I was to always have a can of petrol in my boot. And he would make sure that he'd point out any car that was on its way to losing petrol, or one like yours, which had run out. And so that's what I do. I take the petrol and give it to the people. I don't want any payment. So Bobby, by this time, is like a stunned mullet as he's listening to all of this. Um, anyway, this was the decisive factor. And Bobby decided that, yes, God was real, and so was Jesus. Now, many years after that, when uh, Bobby was very frail and actually getting to the point where he was about to leave this life, <coughs> mum visited him in hospital. And the way they had him in the bed, they had all, you know, the back of the, the bed up and all the pillows so that he was sort of not lying flat. And mum moved her chair so that she could actually see him when they were having a chat and she could hold his hand and all that sort of thing. But this particular day, he didn't respond to her at all. He was totally oblivious to her presence. So she just sat there and quietly prayed. Then she got a terrible shock because suddenly his eyes opened and he was looking up and he's straining to look up even higher. And then she saw this recognition, this moment of recognition. And then he beamed. His face just lit up with joy. Wow. And then he leaned back again and died. That was it. Now, I can't prove to you that he was looking at a vision of Jesus, but mum was pretty sure, mainly because over the years, even though Bobby wasn't one for going to church, he certainly had developed a wonderful faith and a very strong faith in him. So I was thinking, well, we all were, how wonderful to know that Jesus was with him at that last breath. And I pray that happens to me and to you. Amen. Thank you, El Roy. Uh, Mary Ann's going to uh, share with us um, some things from her perspective. So reading from uh, Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 8, the last few verses, keeping in mind that the context of uh, this chapter is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What I'm going to share with you is the perspective of young people. Um, as most of you know, I've spent the last many years 
working in a school context and being with young people. But not only that, we have young adult children and we've journeyed with them and their friends. I shared with you a few weeks ago that we nursed our youngest son um, through a very aggressive cancer for a short period of time until his death. And during that time, as we were with him, as, as it was dreadful, I can't describe how awful it was, but there was that sense for me of peace, of God's presence, that nothing, this cancer, nothing could separate us or him from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And I think in that time I experienced perhaps what the Celtic Christians describe as thin places, that sense of heaven and earth being so close. And at what point as Andy's body's there and he's really, it's just his heart beating and his lungs working, really that gave him life. There was no other life in his body, but that sense of being in the balance of heaven being very close, body and spirit being so joined. But I think for young people, they don't always have the opportunity to say goodbye. Um, most of you, I'm sure, have had experiences of young people dying suddenly. And so the question is, how do we journey and help young people deal with death? How do we deal with the death of a young person? I think of my friend who lost her 16-year-old daughter because she took her own life. I think of another friend uh, whose young, um, early 20s son died from complications from an epileptic fit as he slept, and I had the privilege of taking his funeral. Um, uh, the boyfriend of, of our youngest daughter drowned in, a, in an accident. You don't know these things are happening, so how do we journey with young people to prepare them? I think one of the things that we can do is to talk openly and honestly about death, not to dance around it. Death is death, to name it. Um, and I think f when we know and have the comfort of the presence of God that we have in Christ Jesus from which nothing can separate us, we are really well placed in an anxious world to speak hope and peace into those places. Not to create, not to tell stories that we think aren't true, but to offer hope. We have the capacity to offer hope without needing to know all the answers. We don't know all the answers. We have the assurance that whether it's in life or in death, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so as we spend time with young people, um, if that's your experience, and I'm sure for many of you, I've touched on a very raw nerve, that um, but to be honest and to name how it is and to know the paradox that these things happen, we can't explain why, and yet we can have confidence in the love of God from which nothing, not even the most um, dreadful of circumstances, can separate us. Thank you, Mary Ann. Anne. Thank you so much for this opportunity, Stuart. It's interesting that we went to a school function last night and on our return home I got a text to say that my uncle had died during the day and I was telling Frank that Paul had died and just reading a little further I realized that another uncle had also died on the same day. Both had lived to ripe old age. But again, just reflecting on that from last night and in today, into today, 
it is interesting that we live in the midst of death all the time as well as we live in the midst of life. My favorite passage is one from uh, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9, which says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor the heart of humankind conceived what God has prepared for those who love God. And I always find that incredibly comforting. To be at the bedside of someone who is dying and to lead them into that transition into life is for me one of the most sacred experiences of my life and it's a privilege that I don't think any priest ever takes lightly. It is something that we experience that many other people don't get to experience unless they're working in an area like that. Um, and it is really sacred. And in a world which is always seeking empirical, science-based evidence, it's very hard to try to convey to people what that experience of, is like of being at the deathbed of someone. A student came to me a couple of years ago and said to me, Mother Anne, what are you going to do? He was an atheist and at that stage, because I don't think anybody really stays one or the other through their lives. They you know, seem to move between. But he said to me, what are you going to do if you get to your death and you discover there is no God? And I said to him, well, let me think about it. I will have lived a life full of meaning. I will have lived a life where I strive to be good and to engage with this God whom I believe loves me more than anything in the world. I would never think of taking my own life because God is there leading me through those dark periods, conscious that that is not always true because of chemical imbalance, etc. But I will have gotten to the end of my life looking forward to what might lie beyond my death. And I said to him, so what are you going to do if at the end of your life you discover that there is a God? And he said, you've got me there, Mother Anne. <laughs> and so very briefly, I, I would like to just recount an experience that I had with a parishioner in South Africa who phoned me one day. She'd been living with cancer for a while. She was in her late 60s. And she contacted me one day, I got a phone call, and she said to me, can you come over, please? It's really important. I need you to come over today. I said, sure, sure. She said, it has to be now. My children are here. I said, right, I'll, I'll be there. Anyway, I got across and was quite surprised to find her children in the lounge room. She had three adult children, and her husband was there. And they were crying. And I went, oh, my goodness, what's happened? We've all been in to see Mum, and she's now kicked us out and she's told us she's going to die. So I went in to see her where she was sitting in her bed. She was sitting up. And she said to me, Mother Anne, I've asked you over here because I would like you to help me to die. Now you can imagine what was going on in my heart at that point. And I went, oh, no, 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 no. What are you asking me? She said, I don't, no, no, nothing dodgy. But she said, I have a real sense that I'm going to die today and I need you to be here to help me and I don't want my children to see it. My husband, I want to be here. And as she sat in bed, she wasn't lying down, she was sitting against a cushion. She said to me, help me. Well, you can imagine. I said, I don't know how to do that. Don't ask me to do that. How can I do that? I don't know how to do that. And she said, you have a prayer book. Just read through. 
So I had at that stage the South African prayer book and I looked at her husband and I thought, all right, God be with me. And I went through the prayers of the dying, which are quite a long prayer in the South African prayer book and I think also in the, in the, in the Australian prayer book. And it begins with acknowledging God, acknowledging presence of God, going through a confession experience, going through a numerous readings of Jesus from the cross, readings that relate to death and dying, relating to eternal life, etc., etc. And towards the end, and I was just reciting these as slowly as I possibly could, um, the Lord's Prayer, he said she wanted communion. And right at the end, there, there are words to this effect that say, Go forth from this world, Christian soul. Go to the God who created you. Go to the Christ who redeemed you. Go to the Spirit who has sustained you. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. At which point, I kid you not, she died. And there was a presence that was in that room that cannot be explained. And I think that presence that happens in so many rooms. And it is tangible, but it can't be proven. Thank you. Thank you, Anne. Um, the passage that, that I hold on to is perhaps one that um, might not seem as obvious as the three that you've already heard. And it comes uh, towards the end of um, the letter from James. And I'm sure you're probably familiar with it, but perhaps not considered it in this particular context. James says, Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of the faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. I had the privilege in my first church in uh, Newcastle of working um, with a particular retired um, priest. I love working with retired priests. It's one of the joys uh, of my ministry. Uh, but this particular one I'd known since I was eight years old because he went to theological college with my dad. Um, and it was great to be able to share ministry uh, with him. Um, the only ministry I didn't really enjoy sharing with him was his preaching, because he wasn't a great preacher. Uh, and so I had to be very careful of when um, I did invite him to preach, because uh, they were generally very, very long sermons um, that meandered and eventually got to some sort of a point. Um, and I worked out that he was really gifted at preaching at our healing service, um, which was once a month, and so every second month he would lead the service and preach, and on the alternate month I would as well. And more often than not, he would weave into his uh, meanderings, which were shorter on these, this Wednesday service than they were at other times, uh, the passage from James. And he would make the observation to those of us who were gathered in our little chapel that the most complete form of healing that anybody could ever experience was the moment of our death. I always found that really profound. And I noticed how 
those words would bring comfort to those who were around in that room, who'd come with their petitions to God of, of healing themselves or those close to them. Not long after um, I'd been up here, uh, um, I think it was about two or three years into my ministry um, on the Gold Coast, I, I got message that um, he was close to death himself. And I was able to visit him about a week before he passed. And sitting in his lounge room, um, yes, I anointed him with oil. Yes, I gave him communion. But the most profound experience of that encounter was that I reminded him of what he had taught me. And that the most complete experience of healing was to be at the moment of his death, which he was about to encounter. And like uh, others have already mentioned, I didn't have a camera on me. Um, I just had that sense of intimacy in his lounge room with his closest family. But as I recited words that he had recited over again to those he'd ministered to, including myself, his demeanour completely changed. Gone was a frail man who was medicated to a point where he couldn't quite work out what was going on. And in front of me was a man with a sure and certain hope that what he was about to experience was complete healing. I have often joked that I have a shopping list of questions that I will ask God when I get to heaven. Questions that I don't have the answers for myself and can't explain to others either. Uh, a bit over a year ago, I was talking with one of the saints from our church and something had come up and I said, oh, I'm just going to add that to my list of questions that I'm going to ask God when I get to heaven. And she looked at me quite seriously, but with all compassion, and she said, Stuart, when we get there, I don't think we're going to need to have the questions answered at all. And she's right. There's wisdom in what we learn from these experiences that we've shared. There's wisdom and comfort from the scriptures that we've shared. But we have a promise that we can hold on to, a sure and certain hope that this is not all there is. There is something more. And my sure and certain hope is that something more comes from the God who created, sustains, and enlivens me in the life I'm living now and into eternity. Amen. Can I invite you to stand with our worship team as we continue to worship?